Hello, this is Brett Leonard, and I'm here with my son Shannon Leonard for the fifth episode of What the F is the Metaverse? Today happens to be, yay, 30th anniversary of the release of my film, The Lawnmower Man, which was released March 6, 1992. Um, wow, 30 years. 30 years go by. Yeah, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday <laughs> to you. Happy birthday, dear Lawnmower Man. <laughs> Happy 30th birthday to you. Anyway. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, been a f- wild 30 years. That's all I can say. feels like yesterday that I was on the set uh, trying to figure out what the F to do with the lawnmower man, <laughs> let, let alone what the <laughs> F is the metaverse. So, um, you know, we're going to talk a bit about that and have some anecdotes from that today. And also... Uh, there was a very big uh, interview out uh, on Lex Friedman's uh, podcast with Mark Zuckerberg that went on for several hours, and he talks a lot about the metaverse and that. And really, we want to also tackle something which is, you know, the title of this one, which is really, what is the true nature of the metaverse? Because we've talked a lot about many different aspects of what exists now, what will be existing. I, I have to mention the biggest news story in the world. Our hearts and minds are still with the people of Ukraine, where the war is continued. Yes. And, you know, con- it's really, <laughs> it's it's horrific. And we've actually, we did a whole podcast on that, our most recent podcast. But uh, there's many news outlets that are covering that. On this podcast, this is what the F is the metaverse. And, and actually, out of the last podcast, we talked about the metaverse in many ways as the internet as just an extension of the internet, we, you know, we're going to dive into what is the true definition of the metaverse, you know, calling yeah. the internet, the metaverse is, is actually making it even more confusing for people saying the internet is the metaverse. When the metaverse is actually a three dimensional immersive space. So we're gonna get into that. It's all happening on the 30th anniversary of <laughs> the movie Lawnmower Man, which has, you know, which was about the military Yes. Using virtual reality to experiment. Should the metaverse be defined as strictly a three-dimensional space where you're immersed inside of it? And I initially was thinking, yeah. well, I don't That's know. It stands out, but but I don't know. I, well, what do you think? Should it should it? Well, have look. A I mean, to reference, or, look yeah. to reference the lawnmower man and the fact it was about virtual reality, which. You know, when Mark Zuckerberg in his interview talks about the metaverse, he mentions virtual reality and uses that term a lot still. Uh, You know, it is a three-dimensional wraparound world you're immersed in, both in the film and in the context of what people think of as the concept of virtual reality. So I do believe there's a dimensionalized aspect that is what it was going to become. But there is, again, a human behavioral aspect, a kind of metaverse of the mind that are a metaverse of the group mind even that's happening already. And that, and that's kind of what, I mean, look in the beginning of world war two, there may have been small reports of people saying, Oh, the, you know, the Germans aren't really invading Poland, but mostly it was like, yes, the Germans are invading Czechoslovakia. They're invading Poland. I mean, there wasn't, (laughs) there wasn't this pushback of, you know, what alternate truths that were completely saturating the public sphere. And that's happening now. And there's an aspect of that that I think we need to look at, again, from a human behavioral standpoint, in terms of how the metaverse, when it's fully executed, when it's fully uh, available in a dimensionalized form, will affect human interaction, human truth, human intimacy, all the things we've talked about. And so I'm going to continue to talk about it in the present tense 
as well as in the future tense, because I believe, you know, look for me again, for my generation, for me, it's different from yeah. you. You're, you're a digital native. This is all stuff that's been around since you were born on some level. It wasn't when I was born. And so it came to be while I went into, you know, adulthood, mid adulthood. And, you know, and at the time I made the lower man, which is when I was, you know, 29, 30 years old, it was, it was very much nascent, all of these things. The internet uh, was not fully established. Uh, you know, email was AOL with a with a disk you had to put in. I mean, it was wow. it was very, very primitive. and And yet, I saw that those aspects were for me part of this virtual world I was trying to tell a story about. I was trying to reference those things, which is why at the end of the Lawnmower Man, Forget the Lawman references, everybody. It's it is the 30th anniversary. So I'm going to use a lot of Lawman references today. I won't do it every as every you time. should. <laughs> I won't do it every time. But you know, at the end, I use one of the most oldest forms of human communication, at least you know in our era, the telephone ringing, all the phones in the planet ringing at once as the birth cry of Cyber Job. Uh, you know, and, and as he achieves beingness in the in the net, in the uh, in the web in the metaverse. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that are antecedents to what the metaverse will be, but that are also in the present moment that are affecting human behavior and human sociology and human psychology. So I just think we we can't let go of that aspect and just, you know, some people that are very, very, you know, focused on what the metaverse will be are like, don't talk about that. That's, you know, let's talk about how are we going to get into dimensionalized worlds and of, of imagination. And by the way, that's something I'm very, very interested in. I want to help create things, this idea of story worlds that I've been talking about for a very long time. All of those things are much more, you know, exciting in some levels, but to let go of the present and seeing how it's affecting us and also how it's affecting the very nature of war, as we talked about in the last uh, podcast, I don't think we should let that go. Yeah, and for those of you who, who haven't seen The Lawnmower Man, it was the first feature film to depict virtual reality technology. It was released in 1992, directed by my father, written by, co-written by my yes. father as well. And my um, partner, Jamil Everett, who yeah. uh, has passed on now some almost 10 years ago. And uh, uh, she was very, very instrumental. Uh, you know, I, I dedicate uh, anything I do with the lower man from this point to, to Jamil because she's she's helping from the other side. Uh, I feel that very strongly. And uh, yeah. and I, uh, you know, th the story there we use the term virtual reality. No one had used the, the word virtual for anything at that time. So, you know, 30 years ago, the idea of virtual anything was like, what the hell are you talking about? And then the idea of virtual reality was really exotic. I actually had to force New Line Cinema to put the term virtual reality in the trailer for the film because wow. they thought, well, who the hell is going to know what that is? And so uh, really talk about people not knowing what the F the metaverse is. I mean, they didn't know any of these things. And so we did use real virtual reality technology that existed at the time as headsets in some of the scenes of the film. And then we had a more fantasy fanciful aspect of virtual reality depicted in the designs of uh, Alex McDowell. Uh, you know, in, in how the headsets and the cyber suits and the gyrospheres that we put people into in the film uh, were showing interfaces with virtual reality. So it was it was a film that straddled 
reality and fantasy, even though it was absolutely a genre film, still is to this day, uh, you know, and people, you know, continue to talk about it because the themes in the film, even beyond the sort of depiction of virtual reality and the gear, were these humanist themes about what does it do to the nature of humans when we become more and more like data, you know, and it's one of the first films where it showed a human being becoming data uh, that's been written up in, you know, textbooks about the film and things like that. And, and yet, you know, at the same time, it's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. It's, it's a very uh, Promethean story about uh, a scientist played by uh, Pierce Brosnan who, you know, is trying to use virtual reality for positive things. But of course his research money is coming from, uh, the military industrial complex. And there's aspects of the film that are cautionary in that sense. And I will say that some of the greatest virtual reality research still being done to this day are coming from the military. Not all of it bad, by the way. Um, you know, one of the people I'm working with, Dr. Skip Rizzo, has done tremendous work with the military in helping veterans with PTSD using virtual reality therapy. And it's been incredibly, uh, you know, successful. It has great efficacy. So this whole idea of how these technologies merge with the military, merge with war, all this is a lot of different grays, uh, gray tones to it. It's a, it's, a, it's a much larger conversation that's going black and white, which in, in some ways the Lawmer Man was a very sort of black and white conversation. Uh, you know, but there were also nuances. There were the fact that he, you know, Job, the, the Lawmer Man in the film became better, was made better by virtual reality, was uh, by actually the uh, the combination of nootropic drugs and VR. Um, you know, one of the things I should mention, I'm a part of a company called Virtual Psychedelics that is actually about creating virtual environments. Dr. Skip Rizzo is one of the co-founders in that with me. Uh, you know, he's done 20 years of research in this area, an incredible clinician. And uh, the combination of psychedelic therapy, which is becoming more common in the psychiatric world around the world now, uh, it's even being licensed here in the United States, uh, in Canada a lot, and uh, in many other plates, uh, parts of the world. Uh, with virtual reality therapy could be a very strong, uh, positive use of this technology. And I'm trying to become involved with things that are a positive use case for a virtual technology, not just, you know, worrying about the cautionary tale aspects, which of course is what the law man is all about. But I mean, yeah, I know we have to say things. that he was, you know, he was experiment, the experimented on, you know, development, you know, intellectually disabled character who was experimented on. Um, with this, it was definitely a you've, you've described it as a cautionary tale, um, a very you know very dark, very dark film in many many scenes. Yeah. Um, and and you know and uh, but I I, I want to ask actually Pierce Brosnan went on to play James Bond. Um, yeah. And and you know many people probably know him from that. What did he think about virtual reality when? When you when you first like, did he even know what that was when you first? Yeah, well, no, him nobody, nobody knew what it was when I was bringing it to them. The, the financiers, I had to actually create a twenty-minute uh, uh, educational video 
about virtual reality for the financiers, for them not even understand what I was talking about, and then telling them we could actually sort of, you know, cinematically depict it with uh, new computer graphic effects, which were very new at that time. So uh, there, there's other levels of this that are interesting. And, and by the way, I point people to in our Substack, which is also connected to uh, this podcast, the, the What the F is the Metaverse Substack that both Shannon and I are on. Uh, I've posted today two articles uh, which are about uh, the Lawnmowerman. One's uh, article from the Washington Post, which came out when my director's cut of the Lawnmowerman was released, and it created a critical reassessment of the film. Um, I'll let you read that if you'd like. Uh, and and then the other is uh, a new article that just came out on Inverse.com, uh, the oral history of the film The Lawnmowerman, which uh, a great uh, a great uh, journalist. It, investigated the film and he talked with many of the people that are still alive that made the film. Uh, and, uh, there's an oral history, uh, in that article. And that's also posted in the Substack. So, uh, there's a lot of cool, you know, anecdotes there and things about what we did with computer graphic effects and how they referenced what VR was then and how they actually referenced what VR is now. Uh, many of the things in VR look a little bit like what we depicted in The Lawnmower Man way back 30 years ago. So the technology is still catching up uh, because computer graphic technology, of course, has become much more photorealistic. And uh, even, you know, the real-time gaming engines have become very, very sophisticated and photorealistic in their depictions of reality, quote-unquote. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of things connected to this movie that make people continue to talk about it, which I'm very proud of. And I, I, it wasn't my, you know, initial intention, but uh, it seems to have been somewhat prescient. And so that's why they're still, you know, making articles about a film from 30 years ago, which is kind of blowing my mind. I, like I used to, you know, I think I said in an earlier podcast, it's kind of like I walked into the reality of the film I made 30 years ago uh, in my life now, because I'm actually working with the technology to hopefully create some positive outcomes. Uh, well, and, yeah, I mean, uh, as I as I mentioned, you know, it was a horror film, um, and you know, how do, do you do you is that why one reason you're you're pushing so hard to try to get the positive aspects of this and 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 not not basically create what ended up happening in the film you know do, do, well, are, yeah, is this why you're, absolutely absolutely because you know you, you got to be aware of telling cautionary tales because you know it actually helped popularize vr i mean many people in vr will tell you like dr skip Riz was one of them he he saw the lawnmower man it was one of the reasons he pushed his therapeutic career into the virtual reality space um so and that was you know obviously a positive outcome for somebody watching the film but, you know, it popularized this idea without people remember. I often speak at conferences at the end of the uh, keynotes. I say, you do remember how the film ended, right? It wasn't really about yippee, VR is coming. It was more like, whoa, this very powerful thing is coming. And even Pierce Brosnan's last line, if we can, you know, embrace our wisdom instead of ignorance, this could free the, the mind of humankind as opposed to enslave it. Uh, that's the last movie and that's the last line in the film before the phones ring. So, uh, and that's why our conversations have been interesting because, you know, you, you, you've been thinking about this for over 30 years, you, you know, yeah. in, in the article, it was said it was 1989 when yep. Jared Lanier, who coined yes. the term virtual reality, put, put a, a actual VR headset on your head. So that was in 89. You had a yes. VR headset on your head. That's right. And, and, but just to go back to your question yeah. about Pierce Brosnan, 
he was incredibly interested in it. He look, Pierce is extremely intelligent guy. Uh, and, and was, is also got a great imagination, great curiosity, uh, really one of the more wonderful human beings I've worked with, uh, in the business, uh, as you know, I've maintained a friendship with him to this day and, and he's, uh, you know, he was very what did interested he think in of it. Yeah, he was very he... interested. In, he was very interested in the reality of it. He actually, we actually looked into some of the things that Jaron Lanier said and put them into his dialogue. So, in some ways, Pierce oh, Brosnan right. is playing Jaron Lanier uh, in the Lawnmower Man, at least in certain components, certain parts. And how did you meet, uh, meet Jaron Lanier? To tell tell us a little bit of backstory for people well, who don't know who he is. Yeah. So in nineteen eighty nine. There was this thing called the Cyberthon, which was put on in San Francisco in the uh, warehouse of the Mission District, which was about all these crazy innovative technologies by young startup companies. This is before real startup culture had, you know, taken over Silicon Valley, but it was kind of a precursor to that. And I went to it with my friend uh, uh, Alan Lundell. Um, and uh, we were there for 24 hours. The idea was you stay awake for 24 hours uh, by hook or by crook. And, uh, and you see all these technologies and have a great time uh, with a group, you know, great group of people. Uh, people like John Perry Barlow were there. Uh, you know, many people from the, the world of tech and philosophy and also just tech. And Jaron Lanier was there with his company, VPL. And, uh, and it was him that had this initial demo, very rudimentary virtual reality. It was very like low poly uh, in the extreme. But when he put that headset on my head and I, I was in a VR, even though it was incredibly crude at that time, I saw, wow, this has got an unbelievable potential. And I wanted to make a movie about it. From that moment, from the moment I put the headset on, I said, I'm going to make a movie about this. Of course, everyone laughed and giggled. I had made... At that time, I had just made uh, the the, the dead, dead bit, bit. my yeah. first my first horror film, and it hadn't even gotten out there yet. That was during the time I was sort of you know finishing the movie, and uh, so you know not everyone oh, wow. took very seriously the fact I was going to make a, vir a virtual reality film, but that's what ended up happening. And you know the reason it was a sci fi horror film is because it started from a short story by Stephen King that was brought to me by people that were impressed with the dead pit and it it had one scene in it uh that i put in the film actually i completely grafted the stephen king story into it a completely you know sort of new original idea which had you know which had to do with virtual reality the, the stephen king story had nothing to do with virtual reality uh there was nothing in there about that but i wanted to make a sci-fi movie because that was my favorite genre so, but it had to have some horror elements because it literally was a quote unquote Stephen King film. Um, so, you know, but then, the, he, but then he ended up, you know, he did he, he tell the story about what, what he, what Stephen King said when he called. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, look, he, he, I, one Sunday I get a call and it's like, hi, Brett, Steve King here. And I'm like, who's Steve King? What? No, Stephen King. You know, it's I, I'm going to go watch your movie with my, with my, I got a print here. I'm going to watch my movie with your family here in Bangor, Maine. And uh, I'm going to call you back afterward. Well, that was an intense phone call. And then, cause I knew the film was so different than his short story. <laughs> and I would be yeah. upset. And he called me back and to his credit, 
he was very kind with me and the film, but he didn't like the way it was being marketed because it was being marketed from the mind of Stephen King. And literally, I would have been upset as well. And so he went after the producers and had they had to change the marketing. It could just be based upon a Stephen King short story because, you know, in Hollywood, you're able to really change the nature of, of underlying material quite extensively in its adaptation. And uh, that's just been true in Hollywood since the beginning. But uh, this was actually a, a precedent-setting precedent court case that he was able to say, but you can't market it that way uh, as strongly wow. as they did. And so they had to change packaging on all the home video and on posters. And so it was a big deal. It was a big deal. But he was always kind to me. And actually, when I did the CAA Intel Media Lab, which we'll talk about at some other uh, podcast uh, a few years later, uh, I took him through that and we had a good laugh about the whole thing. Um and, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of Stephen King. Just, you know, I mean, I think he's the Charles Dickens of our era, uh, you know, in terms of his popularity and the, his output and his incredible, uh, you know, style. He has incredible pro style. I, I, I think people will appreciate even more once he's gone, just like everybody does when people are gone. But, uh, you know, it's uh, so for me, it was a very, very interesting place to be in where I was doing this radical adaptation and at the same time, really loving Stephen King. And of course, the film got out there because and, and happened because it was based on a Stephen King short story. So commercially, it was very important to the film to have that connection. And yet I was able to make kind of a wholly original movie, but a wholly original idea uh, because of that. So it's a very unique story in independent film because that's not not the way it works right now. <laughs> so it was a very... Uh, you know, different kind of way moment of, in time. Yeah. Yeah. By being able to put something that was new out there. And so I took, I put, I, you know, I grafted these new ideas onto something that was more uh, commercially viable, essentially. Yeah. Wow. And now, and now years later, I have a virtual reality headset 30 years later, <laughs> millions of people have virtual reality headsets. Yes. What's it? I mean, and I, we've talked about this before, but it's just, it's, it's wild to me that, you know, you know, in many ways it was this science fiction horror disturbing yet very very like diving into a lot of very nerdy geeky concepts yeah but still mass market as you said it was a, it was an independent film but it had it reached huge audiences around the world yeah it was um, it was the, the number yeah. one independent film that year and it was also one of the top 25 for many many years ever made especially in relation to you know box office related to cost because the film cost just a little over five million dollars which was you know very very low budget for those days and especially low budget for something that had 27 minutes of digital effects in it uh you know at the you know at that time t2 uh terminator 2 had seven minutes of digital effects very wonderful digital effects created by ilm of course it was a 120 million dollar film now it was a different you know, aesthetic than the visual digital effects we had, but, you know, audiences didn't respond that way. They, they, they thought they were seeing something, you know, that was really new. And it yeah. was also celebrating the kind of cyber delic aesthetic of, of, of CGI, which is very few films have actually celebrated that it's, it actually, if you look at it now, it's, it's its own aesthetic. It's not photorealistic. It's about something that's imaginative and uh, is connected more to abstract art and expressionism. And so, you know, there's, there's, there's some interesting things there that you can talk about from a sort of artistic level in terms of computer graphic effects as well. And, and I think all these elements kind of, you know, wrap up into the fact that, 
people uh, continued to look at the film and continued to be, you know, intrigued by the concepts and thoughts in it. Well, it was science fiction, but yet it was, it started from a moment that you actually had in real life where you actually yes. put on a VR headset and, you know, look at Terminator 2. We don't, you know, sure, we might have forms of Skynet in some ways, especially in in other companies like China. There, there's actually a, a company in China that literally named their product Skynet. I think Vice News did this report, um, and it like tracks, it tracks people. <laughs> yeah, they, they literally named it Skynet. But we don't have robots going around and in, in the same way. Um, and I don't know. I maybe I don't know. Who, who know, hopefully that's that's not gonna turn out and and maybe there actually are more and more warfare robots but if you look at large large majority of science fiction films a lot of them are based purely in fantasy where this one actually yes did have i think some you're grounding right I, I, in reality that's kind of one of the unique things about it which is one of the reasons i think it's it's maintained its relevance because also i thought VR was going to take over everything within five years of the film. I mean, I was, you know, in the beginning of the film, it says, by the turn of the millennium, a technology known as virtual reality will have, you know, become, you know, mass yeah. accessible. I mean, it didn't happen quite that way. It took more like 25 years for it to start to really get a foothold. And, and even uh, now, even now, it's so early. I mean, it's, it's yes. kind of, yeah. in many ways, you know, you know, even three years ago, it was almost a, a, the punchline, like, oh, virtual reality, haha. And now people are starting to take it seriously, because Oculus, or sorry, Meta's yes. Quest 2 headset is sold. Millions and let's, and let's and be millions. honest, what VR, virtual reality was the term that meant the metaverse just a moment ago, <laughs> okay? The metaverse yeah. has come into being as, you know, virtual reality was the hot term there for a while and a lot of money chased it. And, you know, Mark Zuckerberg was one of the primary people that created that uh, with his uh, investment and in buying of Oculus. And, uh, you know, so it's something- But now let's turn into the metaverse, which yes, is essentially very the same much thing about, in many ways. I, for me, again, I like to call it virtual experience because all these things, whether it's VR, it's AR, augmented reality, uh, going into a three-dimensional world of the metaverse, the story world, it's all virtual experience, meaning, it's not real life experience. It's virtual experience that's digitally created within a digital twin, a digital universe that's that's uh, synthetic, you know. And yet, is it synthetic? Because it's coming out of us. It's coming out of us who are part of the natural world, and our minds are able to fill in the gaps to where a metaverse reality can actually be taken by the human mind, the human brain, as a real reality. And that's one of the things that makes it the stakes are very high for this medium. The stakes are very high for what we're talking about. Like what the F is the metaverse. It's something that is very powerful. Uh, you know, I think that the power now, yeah, that media, was discussed. Yeah. That was know, discussed the in the podcast on, on Lex Friedman and, and Mark Zuckerberg. They're talking about when does our reality become the majority of time spent in the metaverse? Like, and, and, and what, what does that actually, what does that mean? And, and Mark Zuckerberg's answer was, well, it's just when that you're actually more effective, like the things that you're doing. You're, you're, once you're more productive and once the economy is in the metaverse, that's when you're going to be essential. That's when reality is going to sort of merge with the digital world. And, and it already has. I mean, look, we're already on our phones in so many ways, but it's just sort of the natural extension of this digital trend that we're all heading in. Yeah, let's talk about the Zuckerberg interview a little bit. So, yeah. um, you know, I got to be honest, Mark Zuckerberg rubs me the wrong way. Now, that's not a very fair assessment. I'm not saying it is. It's just a chemical thing for me. 
<laughs> I think for most people, for most I people just, feel the same you way. Know, I, I, again, and you know, some of the times he's saying something that seems very, very rational, but the way he says it and sort of his focus and his lack of what feels like humanness somehow. I mean, there's been some great comics recently. My friend uh, loves this comic, uh, Chris Delia. And so I watched Chris Delia. And Chris Delia is brutal on, on Mark Zuckerberg. Anyone who wants to see some good Zuckerberg jokes, look up Chris Delia's podcast. Um, and uh, who was, by the way, canceled uh, last year or the year before. So I'm not trying to be provocative. He just is a very funny guy who's commenting on social uh, social issues, especially Zuckerberg. Um, and, you know, that he, he, when he answers, like when he thinks about even the question when we're going to be more in the metaverse than real life, that's a scary question. That's like, do we really want to not have real life more than the metaverse? I mean, but what even is real life? You know, that's that's the yeah. question. Like, when yeah. is and, and you've even said this in our past podcast that the metaverse is just coming out of nature. It's just coming out of you know, our experience. So it's, yeah, well, it's hard to tell, but that's and, and, the question, yeah. will there be a time when we think of the metaverse as part of the natural world? I know that sounds like, uh, you know, contradiction in terms, but many things that sounded like contradiction in terms in the past technology shifted, you know, the idea that we would go up in the air in a tube and be able to be in another part of the planet in a few hours, that wasn't considered part of reality. That was considered part of fantasy, right? How that's in a sense a kind of virtual experience that you're having, and suddenly you end up in a different location. Now, there's you know real laws of physics behind it. And, yeah, but some would argue that's a physical. Uh, physical yeah, it's, it is. But but I'm talking again. <laughs> yeah. I tend to talk about from it from a human behavior, from sort of a, a mental construct, right? Uh, you know, a psychological construct. And I'm just wondering if there's some point where you know you're a digital native, but what about your children or the children's children? You know, my great, 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 great grandchildren, if I ever have any, yeah. uh, you know, will they not see the digital world of the metaverse as just native to reality? I mean, because it's going to be around them from the very beginning. It's going to be part of the technology they use as soon as they're able to use technology. So thinking out of, out of the box, thinking about that horizon factor, not being able to see beyond the horizon of when humans just think of these things as a natural part of being human. Is the metaverse actually something that will be a natural part of being human? And if that's the case, because I think it, it will be the case, we really need to set the tone and, again, the ethos and uh, framework for what this is right now as it's appearing, as it's being birthed, because it's going to have a tremendous effect on the nature of humanness and well, even well, yeah to, to the point of if, if you want to hear the human side of mark zuckerberg the recent podcast by lex friedman with 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 mark was actually a really great view into his more human side because he talked about his family he talked about you know the meaning of life he talked about what he would say to god uh you know these are questions that he, he, he was asked, asked he was asked if is he afraid of death yeah, um, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, Lex, by Lex the way, Friedman it's Lex Friedman's did a great job. Uh, number number two six seven number two hundred sixty seventh podcast for those that yeah. look, looking up. Uh, and he had great questions, great questions by Lex that really went to the heart 
of, of the situation. And, and you know what? Lex was hard on him, too. He didn't let him off easy. He asked some really tough questions about moderation. That's true. That's true. And, and, and it, was, it was interesting to see, to see that. And I think, I think actually, you know, the, the, more you, the more you really talk to someone and the more you get to you ask them questions, it just humanizes them more and more. And I think it's, it's so easy to paint anyone, really, anyone with a, with a picture. I mean, that's this whole idea of being canceled, you know, I think for a lot of young people, it, they don't really, the, the cancel culture is, 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 is besides the point. We just care about you being kind and being uh, empathetic and treating people fairly. Um, that's what it's about. It's not about canceling people just because they said something. It's about actually taking them, uh, holding them accountable for things that they said, and then giving them, you know, a chance to potentially, learn and and grow from that um, yeah it's because mark zuckerberg is worth what is it uh how many billions hundreds of billions you know <laughs> hundreds of billions cool. of dollars i mean uh, let's face it that makes him an outsized force in the world it's this idea that corporations are humans that they could have the same voice as an individual human being uh from that supreme court case you know uh th these are the ideas that are part of our capitalistic you know matrix that tend to, you know, paint uh, these different personalities in a way that we, it's hard to actually just re respond to them as human beings because they have such an outsized influence. He has an outside, you know, if I just was watching him and thought, oh, this is a guy who's into innovation, he's trying to invent, you know, but his influence is so huge with the, you know, the amount of users he has on, on Meta, on Facebook, billions. you know, billions, yeah, yeah, billions, literally that it's like the, this is, this guy is really important. And he is also the most enthusiastic developer of the metaverse of anyone. He created this new metaverse craze by even saying the term and then renamed his company Meta. So he is leaning into this huge, big time, you know, and and that makes it very important what he's going to do. I believe that it's going to be something that pushes the reality of the metaverse. He talks about the technology in that in that interview in great detail. Uh, he's obviously thinking about it all the time. His team is thinking about it all the time. But there are some disingenuous aspects as well, because they did do you know these studies where they were studying how people you know responded to negative uh, influence and all these things that he's not really copping to. And well, no, he actually no, he he commented on that. He commented on that and he talked about how a lot of times that you know the reason they were doing that research is because they did care, and a lot of the the results were cherry picked. Um, you know, where, where they were saying they were, they were cherry picking certain studies that showed, yeah. you know, that, that but, you know, I, but also I have to say, I've seen reporting, uh, this was years ago where there was, there was clear evidence where they were in some of these studies, they were actually manipulating people's emotions. Yes. Where, where they, the parts of the studies were actually saying, oh, what, how can we tweak the algorithm to make people feel more depressed? And, and by, more by the way, and you that, know why they did scary. that? They that's did that scary. because they could. And they had the profit motive at the core. And in a capitalistic matrix, the profit motive becomes the most primary reality. And that's just true about corporate structure. And it, you know, no matter how much the head of a corporation will say, no, we're really caring about the humans, there is another aspect to the corporation that acts like a sociopath. There's an amazing uh, documentary called The Corporation that I think was made by some Canadian documentarians that studies corporate 
uh, personality as if they're humans and if they're as if they're individual human personalities and they became every one of them was either psychopathic or sociopathic if you look at their behavior and there's something to be said there about this so even though Mark Zuckerberg at the core is still a human being he's got kids he's got a family you know he's he may have a you know a style that rubs me the wrong way and many other people but you know we do need to give him the you know the benefit of the doubt that he's a human. Um, and yet the corporation he's created because it's within this larger matrix is something that has just undue influence and has been shown to have undue influence in a very negative way. I think that that's been shown. The fact that he doesn't cop to that as much as I think he should is one of the things that I find, uh, difficult. So do you think it, do you think it's almost, it's almost irrelevant, um, his personal, because here, here's I want to say like one thing he said he, he he felt that the meaning of life is you know a world where people can live out their imaginations you know um, you know uh, or actually no he said well he said many things he said the meaning of life was part of um, be, being with family and, and many things but part of he, he thought like the 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 promise the promise of the future was a world where we can work to do creative things and express our art and and all this stuff but. But and also he said that you know that he responded to this the documentary the social dilemma, where yes yeah where he says were, he disagrees with it. Well, yeah, because from his perspective, because he's were, the villain in it. <laughs> <laughs> so of course he would disagree. Yeah. For, but but he he pointed out he pointed out that they were saying that the advertising, the advertising business model incentivizes them to promote things that make people angry because. There's that old, yeah. you know, adage: if it bleeds, it leads. Yes. Um, but he, his, his argument was that that wouldn't make sense if they were trying to build a long-term business, and that he, in his heart, he wants people to, to continue using the platform. And if he was making people angry, that might have a short-term impact. But he's trying to build yeah, something see, I found that, in the long that, term. That part of his answer disingenuous, though, because the truth is, negative engagement does capture people to a greater and more powerful degree. But not long-term, though. If if you maybe if, not. Yeah, not that's, long that's term. debatable. That's debatable. I mean, the human nature is what human nature has been. And if we want to see the thing is, is that corporations and that, that have this profit motive that are using advertising don't have an evolutionary mandate to them. And that's what needs to happen. We need to bring an evolutionary mandate into metaverse development because we're not trying to evolve human behavior involve the human psychology and the group the group mind and activate the genius of the group mind as opposed to the reptilian brainstem theater that happens you know we're we're sunk i mean this is a big moment this is all the cautionary notes i i you know hit in the lawnmower man and also in my film virtuosity which we'll talk about another time you know those cautionary notes are very very up in our face right now um, with this technology, with what the metaverse is becoming. So it's, and, and, and having sort of mamby pamby answers to it that don't really go, wow, this is really important because think about how much things have been changed by technology. People don't, you know, that live in the modern world don't really remember that or don't have, have a perspective on that. I mean, all the roads and all the infrastructure that goes into transportation by uh, individual single cars has changed everything on the planet, including all the way to the effects of climate change and these things. I mean, that's massive. That that deals with the survival of the species. What is going to be the survival of humanness 
in the context of the metaverse and is Mark Zuckerberg the guy we want leading it? That's that's what I'm I'm and I'm not saying I'm the guy to lead it. I don't want to I I believe by the way that it's not about charismatic leadership. It shouldn't be about just the multi-billionaires that are able to actually steer culture. We need to create a democratization of creative empowerment, of uh, value empowerment uh, around uh, the metaverse, around, you know, this uh, whole idea of NFTs and of DAOs, which we're going to get into in another, you know, another podcast. All of those aspects, even though they may be, you know, the Wild West right now and have a lot of negative components, are also pointing towards a kind of universal abundance, right? And that that idea of universal abundance being at the core of what uh, this is about. I, I want to point out, you know, I just talked with a man named Will O'Brien, who uh, is the founder of NFT Oasis, which is a metaverse company. It's a metaverse place where they're selling art and doing concerts. And he's a very, very forward thinking uh, uh, entrepreneur. And he's put, you know, he's been very successful in raising money for this. And uh, you know, there look, it's very rudimentary in terms of the reality of it at this point, but it's also developing in the right direction. And, you know, his philosophy is of how to create universal abundance in the context of the metaverse. Now, some people will say that's naive, that's woo-woo, that's whatever. I happen to agree that that's what the greater aspect of this is about. And people like him that are creating something that has that at its core, I feel much better about than when Mark Zuckerberg gives his answers, which are coming from the kind of traditional capitalistic matrix. You know, and again, I'm a capitalist. I'm not saying it from some high horse. I mean, I've, you know, made movies and movies are a product that go out there and people spend money on it. So I've, I've been in that system. So I'm not, uh, well, I'm well not... yeah, I mean, and, and, and he, Mark is not the only one, you know, he's definitely pioneered this. I mean, but I, there's actually some news that HTC, uh, which HTC is worked with, uh, valve creating, you know, with, with a lot of, a lot of products and they, they're a phone manufacturer, but they they just announced the vive verse. <laughs> they're calling it the vive verse. Um, which is a little bit cringy, to be honest. Um, and it doesn't, it does not roll trippingly off the tongue. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't. Vive verse. But they, it's an open source metaverse platform that's, you know, said to be usable on a PC or the company's standalone VR glasses. You know, they're doing it. Also, Sony, they just announced the PS VR 2, which will be released in late 2022. Yes. Yes. Um, but of course, there's chip shortages, so that might be delayed. I mean, Apple. There's there's all these other players jumping in. Oh, people, it's happening. Yeah. It's happening. Yeah. There is massive money, massive focus on this from consumer electronics companies like Sony and beyond, and massive money chasing the Web3, as we've talked about, which is the infrastructure that's going to be behind sort of the foundation of the metaverse. Uh, you know, these pieces are being put in place. This is coming like a 3,000-foot tsunami that we're not quite aware of yet, but it, when it hits it's going to be big. Just like when the smartphone really hit, it came almost out of nowhere. I mean, yes, there was the Palm Pilot and things like this that people thought, oh, these are kind of, you know, niche business devices. And now it's hard to find someone out there in the, you know, Western reality anyway, that isn't looking at their phone at all the time. I mean, it's, and it's that's changed. why that's why I feel like it's almost an extension of the metaverse. That's why that's right. I've talked about our phones and just the internet as the metaverse on our past podcasts. But now, the more again, I'm I'm there's there's this question of how you what is the true definition of the metaverse? And the last note from the Lex Freeman podcast was that Mark Zuckerberg 
talks about the philosophical definition of the metaverse, uh, that it's that it's a time and not a place. Well, he said it's a moment in time when it right. all comes together. I mean, I think he was trying to say when it all comes together, people will really understand what it is. And it kind of, in a way, he's right. I mean, right now we've got these disparate pieces that are starting to come together that aren't together yet. There isn't interoperability. There isn't really a full dimensionalized world to, to join where you can jump from one world to the next. I mean, all these things that are sort of the core tenets of the people that really talk about what the metaverse will really become. But at the same time, it's also something that's here in this moment in time from a behavioral standpoint. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's and, a thesis many, that we're talking yeah. about. You know? And many people, you know, thought the the Meta Quest, the Quest Two headset, previously known as Oculus Quest Two headset, was you know just for gaming, and yes. now of course it's for fitness and it's for other things. But here's here's a question for you, Dad. Yeah, I wanted to get your perspective on because I've been thinking about this and I've been playing this game in virtual reality called. Uh, Zenith. It's called Zenith, the last city. And they've basically built an entire multiplayer world. It's an open world where you can talk to other people, but you also have like a level so you can level up your yep. character. You can, you can make food. There's like cooking or you can, you can fight like creatures that are in the world, which aren't other people. They're just like, you know, autonomous, essentially artificial intelligence creatures that you can fight. There's a lot of things you can do in this world and you level it up. But they yes. created this whole world. But and, and it made me think like, so we're thinking of these things as games, right? And and of, of course, gaming is one of the biggest industries. Yes. Uh, it's it's bigger than bigger the movie than, business. Right, uh, exactly. Long stretch. Yeah. But it's a huge, way bigger than the movie business. Yes. And I'm I'm just thinking, like, especially in the more time I spend in this virtual reality game called Zenith, it's like, well, is it a game or is it just reality? Is it just another form of reality? What is the difference between a game and reality? Because in the in our you know real life reality, we, we play have games. To, <laughs> right, we have to get a job. I mean, we have to a function job and, is a game. Uh, yeah, money is a game. Uh, you know, you could look at it as either a positive or negative. I think you could look at it either way. Um, you know, and there's gaming and game theory involved with everything we do. Um, and you know, I've always like talked about what is a story world in the, in the metaverse or in virtual reality, a virtual reality story world is something that is the undiscovered country between game logic and storytelling and linear narrative. And there is really an undiscovered country there. There is something when the kids with the combination of these forms that hasn't really been created yet. And I believe one of the things that's going to be necessary to really popularize and create ubiquity in the metaverse is bringing in true story, true meta narrative, true human and emotional engagement with story, character, and emotion. I mean, that, that, that to me is still at the core of what has not been addressed in any of the virtual reality uh, stuff that's been done. I mean, there's, well, you know, it's there's, starting, there's, it's starting. I mean, what I just, yeah, mentioned, it's starting. It is yeah, starting. In, in Zenith, I will say Zenith is totally story driven. It's all about the story. And but of it's course, still a game. It's still game, a game play. But what? It, but, but when? But when you're in a game that's physical and has immersive space, then you start to think, well, what? Like then the 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 terminology of gaming starts to break down because just yeah. like you said, life is a game. I feel no, like I, be, I believe a, I believe that Zenith is probably the most. You know, it's also becoming more and more popular, which is means it's 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 gaining more ubiquity. But it's you know with with you know being in a VR MMORPG essentially. 
you know, that is the most the closest thing to a true story world that I've been talking about for a very long time that exists. Uh, yeah, it yeah. still I mean, comes and, out and of the gaming emerging too, but it's it's interesting yeah. where it doesn't feel like a game anymore. Where like when you're when you're playing a video game on a console, you're looking at a TV screen, and it's easy to say, okay, the game is inside the TV screen, and then I'm here in reality. But yes. once you're actually immersed in the world of the game, suddenly that virtual reality becomes the game, and then that game is your reality, and so it starts getting very. Uh, very existential, almost. Yeah, well, it um, is existential. That's, I mean, yeah. that you're going right back to what is the core theme of the lawnmower man. <laughs> it yeah. literally is. This is about a human that becomes data. It becomes an existential question: Is he still existing? Is that all the phones on the planet ringing at the same time? His birth cry, meaning he's existing in another form. Is it a more evolved form of humanity, or is it? a de-evolved form. And obviously, one of the things we're going to be dealing with in, as I develop uh, this project I call Lawmer Man Reborn is the answer to some of those questions. Not necessarily the answer, at least the continuation of the dialogue, I should say. Uh, and I wanted to announce on this, since it's the 30th anniversary of the Lawnmower Man, and this whole year, by the way, I'm going to be celebrating the 30th anniversary. Uh, but this is today is actually the day it was released 30 years ago, March 6th. Um, Lawmore Man Reborn is a project which will become a feature film. I am a feature filmmaker, but it's also a metaverse project, meaning it will have a world. And probably the way I'd like to develop it, the world will come first because I want it to be. And this is sort of what I'm announcing here on this podcast for the first time in a public way. Anyway, I want it to be a true man machine collaboration. I want it to actually involve AI, which I call augmented intelligence generating environments, generating characters, even generating aspects of story. Now, people, some people just cringe when I say this because they think, oh, my God, artificial intelligence or, you know, augmented intelligence creating as a collaborator. I'm saying the reason I'm doing it as a process experiment is because if we don't come up with positive ways we can collaborate with AI, with augmented intelligence, we're screwed Okay, we need to <laughs> we need AI, which is coming at us as part of that 3000 foot tsunami that I mentioned to be something that reflects the better angels of our nature. It needs to reflect the, the imaginative aspirational aspects of humankind, not just, again, the reptilian brainstem theater, the primal stuff that is often what it can represent. And we've even seen some AI experiments that that sort of devolved in that direction. And so I want to create something, a story with man-machine collaboration. I also wanted to incorporate crowdsource collaboration or activating the genius and imagination of the group mind in a metaverse environment that is Lawmer Man Reborn that will then out of that will fall a feature film that is made by not just myself as some auteur filmmaker, but by the participants in that world, by the AI that is managing and navigating the procedural generation of that world. Now, this is a wild idea, I know, but guess what? I believe, and I'll say it here, uh, and many of the things I've said 30 years ago, people thought I was crazy, so they'll probably think I'm crazy now. I believe many, many, many aspects of human content, of entertainment, of storytelling will be created in this way. And one of the positives of that is that it will empower people to create. These are tools that will magnify 
I believe if they're used in a positive way, can magnify the positive potential of human imagination for everyone. Not just the people like myself that are crazy maniacs who studied film from the time I was seven years old and did everything I could to pound my you know head against the brick wall of Hollywood and make it in that business. But I believe everybody could be creatively empowered in the metaverse. I believe everybody can have greater levels of abundance in the metaverse. And I believe that the story I can tell with the collaboration of AI and of the group mind can actually reflect that, both as a process and as the story itself. And what better film to do this with, for me anyway, obviously I'm biased, <laughs> is than The Walmer Man, which those are the themes of it. And, you know, it's not some great literary classic. It's not some great classic film like Gone with the Wind or, you know, I mean, there's issues with Gone with the Wind, obviously, from the current uh, political stance. But, you know, the, these Well, there's issues are, with a lot of, yeah, there's issues with a lot of a lot the, of things. And I think that's what we're now with the metaverse, we're able to do some of the things you mentioned and actually speak to people of all different kinds. And, and it, no, it doesn't have to be man-machine anymore. It can just be human-machine. It can be non-binary yes. machine. It can be, you know, any anything you want to be. You know, but, you, boy, you can son, be you in the sure metaverse. My trans, you sure are my transhuman offspring, aren't you? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, yes. I have to fight for equality you among are, humans. I mean, I mean, I and I think that look, the transhumanist idea, the you know, the singular. Actually, Zuckerberg mentioned in his interview the singularity of sort of metaverse and reality coming together, which is one of the themes of Lawmer Man, and will be one of the themes of Lawmer Man Reborn. But again. I'm going to discover where it goes because it's going to be a collaboration with these other elements that I just mentioned. And that I believe we have to do this process experimentation because if we don't, we're not, we're going to have, we're going to be hit headlong by something that we're not ready for. And so I want, as I was saying, what better, you know, story to do this with than a story that's, you know, it's a genre movie. It, it, it was a genre thing that, you know, wasn't looked at as some literary classic or anything like that. So it can be malleable. It can be mutable. It can be something that we can experiment with and mash up in different ways and have, you know, I love to see what an AI would generate for environments in that metaverse of Lawrence Man Reborn, as well as the feature film that will come out of it. Uh, I've seen some AI generation lately, uh, of imagery and art that is blowing my mind. And people, I swear, you think, oh no, AI creating art, whatever. You, if Until you see it and see what's actually happening. And again, it's all in collaboration with humans. You know, it's there's there's still a human input going on within there. But these are procedural things that are being uh, uh, established by some incredible scientists that I, I'm not going to name right now, but that are out there that are that are they're doing these things and and it's incredibly innovative stuff. And as so, a yeah, this, is, this is our chance. This is our chance to push push it all forward. And as, you know, especially with you know accessibility with people yes. who who giving the tools. Gosh, I mean, and and I you know and uh, the lawnmower man. You know, uh, there's there's so many different. You can you can point to so many different themes in in larger trends of cinema about. These these stories, they're these ableist stories, right? These stories where yes. we're, we're we're saying, oh, okay, this is there's only one way you have to be, or you have to fix something, you know, in someone to to make them better, or you know, these things. And and of course, and especially in that specifically in the lawnmower man, that was like a, a horror film context. But I, you know, I think we can work on in the modern age, we can we can work on these themes and bring yeah. it bring it bring us together. Say, you know what, it's in the metaverse, you don't have to have any type of, of 
of you know neurotypical or or kind of nor normal body or functional like if no matter if you're disabled or you're fully able-bodied you can go into the metaverse and have just the same experience that it's a great one it else can have a, and it's so important you know? it could be a great leveler and it could be a great leveler because i truly believe that every human is a creative being and every human has a creative spirit and an imagination that can be unlocked and in a way these tools whether it be ai or uh, any of the things we're talking about, procedural generation, being able to go into an environment that extends those aspects of yourself, everyone can have the experience of creating something like I have with creating a movie, which is an incredible experience. I mean, it's like shooting heroin. I mean, I'm just, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm using hyperbole, but it, I mean, it, it's incredible to have a group of people come together uh, and make something that's a vision that comes out of, you know, that group's head and out of the leader. You know, I've been the leader of those kinds of groups as a quote unquote director, but I actually believe in breaking down the hierarchy that I've been part of, you know, this idea of charismatic leadership, this yes, idea break that, down the hierarchy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Break down the hierarchy and that allow all humans to actually experience creativity and imagination. And look, again, some of these things are going to seem woo woo to people or, or, you know, again, the, 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 the ravings of a cockeyed optimist, but I believe that we could do that. And I want to show how I can create something like Lawnmower Man Reborn as a metaverse environment and as a feature film and even beyond that comes out of that kind of empowerment as opposed to top down hierarchical creation, which is what Hollywood is, you know, I mean, I got into the, the that hierarchy, I was I became a made man, I made studio movies, I, I experienced it. And there's a tremendous number of negative things that come with that. There's also positive things, I'm not going to, you know, get into Hollywood bashing right now, maybe a little bit more later. <laughs> Another <laughs> podcast, because there's all kinds of cool. Well, stories. well you're, you're starting the new era. I mean, you, what you're talking about with Lawnmower Man Reborn is you're, you're actually exposing the building process of, yes. you, know, you mentioned it's a feature film, it's also more than a feature film. But usually these things happen behind closed doors. And the people listening to this podcast, you're hearing right from, you know, one, you know, one of the one of the creatives, and it's it's not it's not completed yet. And now the audience can actually participate. Yeah, can, I, I believe we to need to get out of the term audience because, you know, the idea that oh, yeah. we are the creators and we are giving to this passive audience. I mean, you know, there's still some, look, I like being an audience uh, for cinema and I, they're great. Well, you're, right, though. you're right, you're know, right, though. It's, it's becoming more immersive and now the audience can actually be participants in the story. And, and I got to say, Shannon, having you as a son has actually inspired me in this direction because you're of this creator uh, economy. You're, you're of this creator moment that yeah. you you're you're organically been that since you were born. I mean, you I didn't teach it to you. You I mean, you were around creativity and production all these things, but you took it in that direction. So, it's very much been you've been one of my teachers in that as much as I've taught you anything, you know. Um and, well, and we're all that's learning. one of the reasons I mean, we're doing this podcast. People, learning. Yeah. Yeah, the inter intergenerational conversation is very important because, you know, a mentor becomes a teacher, but also becomes a student. And well, gosh, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we're all in a world now where we have access to unlimited information and therefore we're all learning all the time. And it's like, if I ever come off, like I am an expert in anything, then I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not doing a, a service to myself by expressing that I have so much to learn um, about every topic I talk about. And, and, you know, I've learned so much from you and I've learned so much from so many people every day, especially people who are not like myself. I've, I've learned 
from yeah. people who have different experiences of, of different perspectives on life, different, different struggle, you know, especially, yeah. So it, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I mean, this I is agree. a, this is a Look, pivot I, point. I, I agree. I think, you know, one of the things I'm so excited about with, you know, saying I'm going to make Laura Man Reborn in this completely different new way. And by the way, there's yeah. some rights issues and all kinds. It may not be ended up being called Law and Memory Born, people, because <laughs> there's all kinds of business Legal things disclaimer. that may happen. But there's another Hollywood story behind that I'll tell in another uh, episode. But, uh, you know, is the idea oh, that it, I'm tell, collaborating. Tell, tell all the stories. I will. I will eventually. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, we, we can't do it all in one, in one <laughs> podcast. But, you know, uh, the, you know, just let me tell you that the Hollywood uh, structure and business model does not always uh, benefit creators uh, as much as it should. Let's put it well, that if, way. If we don't do it in the way that you're talking about, if we if we don't do it with the community involved, then guess what? Governments are going to get involved. And here that leads me yes. to a story that the South Korean government is investing $187 million towards a national metaverse project. This is reported by Inside.com. Um, and also That's South Coin, Korea, Coin not Telegraph. North Korea, right? South Korea. South Korea, yeah. Okay, good, South good, Korea good. is investing 187. Scaring million. me there. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows? I mean, North Korea might build. I mean, I, it seems like every every country might potentially build a metaverse. That might be a reality. I mean, so but but the the South Korean Ministry of Science and Future Planning has awarded 187 million, and you know it's it's going to be the private sector. It's going to be. Uh, also these governments, but th this is, you know, this is happening now. So I, I guess to, to your point, like this is the time for the community to come together. Let's build this together. Yes. Um, before it's and, and by us. the way, there's a, there's an entire funding mechanism behind this that will be involved with NFTs. I want the whole thing to be governed by a DAO structure. I mean, these are things we'll talk about later because there's, there's going to be an evolution to how mass entertainment is created. And, why not do it now? Because yeah, the and, tools and, and are actually say, in place to do it. Yeah, and I, I think when when you say NFTs, you're not talking about the 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 trendy sort of buzzy no. nature of it. I think you're talking, and we've I, we covered this in an earlier podcast, but the the actual the 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 technology itself of of decentralizing control and then also creating scarcity, digital scarcity in the digital world. And there's still a lot to be, I mean, especially the environmental impact on yes. this, the, the, just the, also the practicality of it. There's some of these, um, the blockchains are very inefficient right now. Uh, yes. you know, and sometimes no, they're also, they'd yeah. also are very bad for the environment. I mean, right. Yeah. They're know. bad for the, yeah, they're bad for the environment, but also people paying like gas fees, so-called gas fees just to buy an NFT. They're spending, hundreds of dollars just in the transaction fees themselves. And that's that's yes. the opposite of what we want. We we want something and there's a lot of innovation happening. This is not going to be this way forever. I think if you're if you've heard things that are pessimistic about NFTs, those things are true in the current climate of it. Correct. But in the next five years, in the next 10 years, that core technology itself is so impactful. The idea of digital scarcity you know, so I would not recommend investing now. But the fact is, we won't need to invest in NFTs. We won't need to invest in cryptocurrencies because they're just going to be integrated into the fabric of the internet. They're going to be integrated into the fabric of the metaverse. Of Web3. I mean, that's Web3 yeah. technology is blockchain based and is yeah. related to empowering exactly what you're talking about. And that's, again, that's a horizon factor. It's hard for people to see. 
Uh, you know, I mean, going back to the Zuckerberg interview, I mean, he he talked about a couple things, you know, regarding having multiple digital identities. And he talked about the fact he, he actually said something which I really disagree. He said, oh, social media has not increased polarization. And he said there's all kinds of studies that show it, it, it. People using social media are less polarized. I'm sorry. That's sort of like, you know, there's a prima facie argument of the opposite <laughs> side there that just looks like, well, there's been greater polarization because I've experienced it in our culture, uh, you know. And, well, he, and, he, he was arguing that that is a very United States based worldview and that in other countries, yeah, no. in that in other countries, it hasn't had the same effect. So maybe it's not the fault of. He, well, look, I, I understand it's like he was just yeah, I mean, blaming, I, but, but blaming just, the United just States. To, just to talk about these are the concepts that I want to talk about in Lauren and Reborn as a metaverse experience that will have, you'll have agency in it. You'll be able to be part of sculpting the narrative, but there will be a curation of, of narrative there that will guide you. And there will be characters that will guide you and an overall theme and ethos structure. These are the things that I think the metaverse needs so that these questions of identity and having multiple identities can be put within a creative context that could be positive for human imagination and for human interaction. Because there's a lot of ways you could talk about those things of having multiple digital identities that becomes very, very negative, becomes very scary. Especially you know? involved with children. We've exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we talked a bit and we're going to continue to talk about that because yes. that's, yes. that's something. And there's that actually is, news already coming out about that. I think there's there's already governments looking into it. I mean, there's it, it's it's continuing to be an issue. And yes, and the, yes. the and even Mark Zuckerberg talked about this idea of verifying your identity and how it's going to be important to to have some way of proving that it's you yes. because people could impersonate you. You could have, you know, a thousand web, Mark web, Zuckerbergs yes, web claiming three, to be him. Web three technology and infrastructure needs to have that inherent, needs to have that as endemic to this to the infrastructure and that's one of the things the blockchain could you know it's like having you know provenance for your own in individual digital identity um there needs to be those that in a way that's that's you know somewhat immutable and unhackable and uh so there's you know there's a lot of questions about it. look uh, we've actually made this one of the longer uh podcasts uh you know, because it's the 30th anniversary Lomer man listen i want to thank everyone out there that ever saw that movie or ever had even a thought about the movie, whether it was good or bad, because, you know, as a storyteller, the great thing is that a story gets out there and is, is, it stimulates discussion. And so I look forward to continuing to stimulate that discussion. Of course, the funnest discussion I have is with you, Shannon. And, uh, and oh, so, thanks, uh, you know, I just wanted to say this has been a great 30th anniversary celebration uh, version of what the F is the metaverse for me. And my sign off, I love you, son. Love you, Dad. And for anyone uh, wanting to support, you can give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. And also check out our Substack. Special thanks to Greg Leonard. Yes, for my brother. Greg yes. Leonard, great musician <laughs> yes, for... who's done a great uh, intro and outro music for, for the podcast. Theme music produced by Greg Leonard.